Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this episode of Risk, you'll hear Wonder Dave. To be clear, people, this story is a story in which I fuck a mattress. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I want to let you know about these exciting tour dates we have coming up this summer. You don't want to miss us. We're going to be in Minneapolis, Reno, Philly, and D.C. very soon. And we need you, if you are living in or near any of those cities, to pitch us your stories. Minneapolis, we will be there on July 17th. The theme that night is shock. Reno, July 25th. The theme is mindfuck. Philly, August 21st. The theme is rattled. And D.C., August 22nd, the theme is ludicrous. You can pitch me directly at kevin at risk-show.com, and the ticket links will be on our website very soon. Also, as you might remember, Chris Castiglione was a member of the Risk team for a long time. He created our fabulous site, risk-show.com. And I've mentioned that Chris went on to create an online class called One Month HTML. A lot of Risk fans took the class and loved it. They learned how easy it was to code by taking these one-month video courses. Now the one-month guys have an even more popular course, One Month Rails. One Month Rails is a series of bite-sized video lessons and step-by-step -step tutorials that teach anyone, even a total beginner, how to build their first web app like a simple photo sharing app, in just 30 days. If you get stuck, there's always a real person to help you out online while you learn. 
In the one-month Rails class, you'll learn Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, Bootstrap, GitHub, and more. Over 14,000 students have already started building their dream app and taking their career to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Enroll now at onemonth.com slash risk loves you. Enrollment is typically $99, but if you join now, you'll get a one-time discount 25% off for joining. And as always, you'll be helping to support risk. Again, it's one month rails, 30 minutes a day for 30 days, and you'll actually build your first web app. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Otis Fodder. Behind me now, we're calling today's episode Boyhood. Not because these are representative of all boys' lives, but because we've got three dudes on the show today, and they just happen to be talking about things that happened when they were younger. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Ray Christian, who lives in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, a little town called Boone, North Carolina. You've heard Ray on the show before. Uh, we love Ray. Ray's been a huge fan of the show, and he's been fantastic every time he's been on it. But before that, we're going to hear another one of those stories from our recent trip to San Francisco that we recorded in conjunction with body storytelling out there. This young man was telling a story on the theme that night, which was taboo. Here he is now at the Risk Slash Body Show in San Francisco. This is Wonder Dave with a story we call... Bedhead. So I believe uh, before we get to many of the things people have mentioned tonight, like being attracted to pregnant women and peeing on people. Uh, I, that's not the first taboo you learn about, and my story is about the first taboo, and that taboo is, of course, masturbation. Yeah? Right? Yeah. Give it up for masturbation. It's good. It deserves a hand. Womp womp. Uh, I, I kind of don't like myself a little now. Uh, so here's the beautiful thing about masturbation in my life and how it came into my world. I will share that all with you now. Uh, when I was a young lad, my stepfather came down to the basement where my room was and handed me a trash bag full of books. 
And he was like, hey, these are left over from my mom's school. Pull out whichever books you want. Uh, and I was like, sweet, I am taking all these goosebumps. They are for me. Uh, and amidst the various goosebump-like things, uh, there was one book. It had a bright blue cover, and in bold yellow letters on it were the words boys and sex. And 12-year-old me in rural Wisconsin was like, pretty sure I'm into both of those things. So I did not let them see the book. I didn't want them to know that I have stumbled upon this trove of treasure, right? My parents weren't super conservative, but they were like Lutherans from the Midwest, right? Like, ish. A little. Like, my mom was kind of a hippie. I realize now that she was smoking pot when I wasn't looking. Whatever. Um, because she smoked it with me as an adult. That's when I realized it. Like, she was like, she called me and was like, where's the head shop in La Crosse? It's like, on 3rd Street? I'm 19. It's a very confusing moment. Uh, so I secreted away the boys and sex book, right? Uh, and like all 12-year-old boys, I had found a cool thing, and I was going to share it with my best friend. So first, I read it. And it contained a lot of fascinating information. It was a book, it's written by Wardell Pomeroy, who actually did some work at the Center for Sex and Culture. And it was written in the 1970s and was super progressive. Uh, one of the great chapters in it was like uh, the homosexuality chapter, which was like, hey, some people are gay and that's totally okay. And I was like, thank God. No one had told me. Because it was like a vague, mysterious thing, right? Like there was a movie that was banned once. That's all I knew, right? Like, mm, something happens? Uh, and then there was another chapter, which is, I think to this day, like the one closest to my heart uh, because of what it said. And it's, it was just such a frank and honest book. And I lived like in a small town, like in the middle of farm country. So I think it was probably poignant for some of my classmates. Uh, and the chapter was on bestiality, and it was one page long. Uh, and it was basically like, hey, maybe you live on a farm. Maybe you've done some things. You're not a bad person. Consider not telling anyone. Like, that's the most beautiful way you can introduce that concept. Like, I was like, good job. Good job, book. Couldn't handle it, right? Um, but the important chapter in this story was the chapter on masturbation. I was like, what is this new exciting world? I can't just wake up with wet underpants in the morning. There's other options. I am on board. Uh, so I had, like, begun masturbating with a fervor, right? Which, I mean, like, I'm sure that my parents knew that that's what had started happening. Like, because obviously laundry just, like, pops up more frequently. <laughs> like, my mom is not stupid. Um, I also, though, around that time, that was roughly when my mom was like, we're going to learn how to do laundry so you can do your own whenever you want. It's <laughs> like, thank you for teaching me a valuable life skill. Good. Good parenting all around. Um, so I did like the basic jerk and tug and like rubbing it up against things and all the things you can possibly do. Um, I shared this book with my best friend Nate. 
Uh, Nate was also a scrawny white kid. He had glasses. Um, he lived two blocks from me. Uh, we were both really into cars. And uh, thematically tonight, we stole Marlboro cigarettes from his dad all the time. This was the basis of our best friendship, right? Like, it's what we needed. Uh, we liked cigarettes and cars, uh, and we both now liked masturbation. Super about it, it turns out. Uh, and because we had this really progressive book about various sexual things, we got, like, hella Bay Area about how we talked about sex as 12-year-old boys. Like, we were like, no slut-shaming, like, let's be real honest and just lay it all the table and, like, clearly communicate our needs and feelings about, like, how we masturbate and talking about it. And he's like, I don't really like to jerk and tug. And I was like, what do you like to do? And he's like, I like to hump my pillow. I was like, huh. So I tried humping my pillow. Um, clearly, Nate had, like, a higher thread count than I did. <laughs> I was not like not into it it's like this is all right like i can see it and he's like i just kind of like chafes when i jerk it so much and i was like you just gotta give it a rest <laughs> it starts to chafe we would eventually discover lube guys don't worry like we figured out what like the vaseline could also be used for or you just take a stick of chapstick and rub it on your dick that's yeah, a classic move right you're like this must be better than what i'm doing right now come to these realizations. Just helpful tips for you guys. So eventually, as 12-year-old boys do, uh, we had a sleepover at Nate's house, right? And we, like, played Nintendo and did all of the basic things, and we listened to, like, a bunch of Weird Al Yankovic songs because we were huge nerds. Um, yeah, we're super cool. Weird Al is... He's amazing, actually. Um, like, I still love him. Um... And it was like a really nice sleepover. And Nate, like in the midst of like, we just beat a level, I don't know. Uh, he like turns and is like, hey. And at this point we've had many progressive conversations about masturbation, guys, so this is not unusual. Uh, he's like, hey, have you ever wondered what it would be like to have pressure on both sides of your penis at once? I'm like, like, not with my hand, but he's like, no. To like stick your dick into something. <laughs> and it should be clear at this moment that Nate is not gay. And I am not particularly like sexually attracted to Nate. He's just my friend, right? Uh, and I'm just sort of like, I don't even like, I, the concept that anal sex existed was probably like three years beyond me at this juncture. Uh, He's like, yeah, what I want us to do is to stick our dick between the mattress and the box spring and see what it feels like to have pressure on both sides. <laughs> to be clear, people, this story is a story in which I fuck a mattress. Like, that is where this is going. Like, right fucking now. And I'm like, Yes, we should try this. This is definitely a good plan that will not involve splinters. Like, right? Like, this is a great idea that he just had. Um, tw it's, you're 12, you have a spirit of adventure. Uh, I like to think I've carried that through to my adult life, everyone. So, so, uh, 
So, as mentioned, Nate, not gay, me, not really into Nate, necessarily. Uh, so, uh, I don't think I'm fully prepared for the level of gayness that us, like, staring at one another across a mattress, like, doing it would entail. Right? Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Like, I'm not, like, the book told me it was okay, but I'm not sure it's great yet, guys. So we strung up a sheet across the middle of the bed. Classy lady right here. <laughs> and then we fucked the mattress. We just did it. And the top was okay, I'm not gonna lie. It was soft, it had some give. As I mentioned earlier, his mom had not skimped on the thread count nor the quality of mattress we were using. The bottom kind of scraped a little. It was kind of like toothy head. Like, which, you know, is all right. But it's not what you're going for, necessarily. Uh, and it was very, as we were double teaming this fucking mattress. <laughs> I imagine worse things could have been done to this mattress. All I'm saying, like in the grand scheme of life, it didn't end up in one of those scary motels, okay guys? It just, ha it's an okay mattress. It fulfilled its mattress destiny. So yeah, we both totally like got it on with the mattress for a decent amount of time because it certainly took me longer than the basic Jurgen tug, right? Uh, and then we both just came in the mattress. Right there, underneath it. His mom couldn't have put that in the washing machine so I imagine it just stayed there. And we took down the sheet because that was kind of weird. You don't want to leave that up and be like, why is that there? Uh, and then we went back to playing Nintendo, which was lovely. And I think the beautiful thing about that is that, like, in that moment, that signifier where we just started playing Nintendo again, nothing about our friendship changed. It was just like another thing we did together, right? Yeah, it was really good. And there is... There is one thing I want you to know in addition to this. And I mentioned before that my mom like set me aside and like taught me to do my own laundry and my stepdad brought me the bag of books. My parents are not dumb people. They are not particularly like negative and I was raised very open. I knew all about the birds and the bees, but they also knew that I was not the type of person who would like want to have the talk with his parents about like when I became sexually active. And I am 100% certain that my parents hid that fucking book in there on purpose. <laughs> Like, they knew what they were doing, and they, they just gave it to me like that. And that, my friends, is a beautiful secret to good parenting. Just let your children discover things on their own. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. When day is done and work is through And it's time to cuddle up with you One thought pops into my head I love my bed Soft but firm, three feet tall Fits so nicely against the wall Like I just said I love my bed I love my bed, we're a perfect fit I've spent some happy times in it Dreaming dreams and loving you And do With a bed. 
Yeah, I got hit by a car today, by the way. I just had to mention that to you. Fucking, fucking New York. When I was growing up, I was uh, interested in all things to do with animals, nature, and the outdoors. But living in a poor, urban, southern slum, opportunities to engage in these types of activities were rare and few. But one of the few opportunities involved fishing at the local river. So it was about the summer of 1976 that I found myself fishing at a place that the local people called the Hole. Now the Hole was a V-like protrusion of land about a quarter acre in size, accessible only by maneuvering and crawling your way through some brush and vines that were growing up through old tires and bricks then down an old makeshift ladder or whatever contraption happened to be there to get to the spot. Now the hole was bordered on its right side by an old abandoned tire factory that had burned to the ground about 10 years prior. And it was bordered on its left side by a series of what's called sluice gates. And these are old wooden panels that uh, covered up these tunnels or holes that allowed unprocessed or untreated wastewater to pour into the river. Now, the types of stuff that came out of the sluice gates were all types of debris and trash and garbage of all sorts that were often mistaken for other things like uh, money floating in the water, uh, body parts, or uh, mermaids even. There were other times when the sluice gates would open up and they would pour tons of fecal matter into the area and toilet paper would be everywhere. And toilet paper would foul your fishing line and had to be picked off very meticulously. But the hole was a really good place to catch catfish and a type of fish called a carp, which is a trash fish or bottom feeder. And if you were fishing at the hole, then you knew or you should have known that the reason why these fish were migrating in this area and they were so large is because they were feeding off of human waste. Now the people who hung out in that area and fished in there were basically poor working class blacks or people we called New City and these were people who came from the country and they grew up uh, in the country, but they decided to move into the city, but they brought with them their old habits, their ways, their customs, and fishing being an extreme part of that. Now, despite the fact that the hole was in a very isolated place, the game wardens frequented it all the time, and they used to hand out tickets to black people at, with reckless abandon. They would give out tickets and citations for things like uh, not having a valid license, being drunk on the river, or just being a smart-ass nigga. Now these game wardens had a kind of power that regular police don't have, you see, because not everybody who was on the river fishing were doing it for recreation. They did it for food. But if you committed one of these violations, then the game wardens had the power to confiscate all your fishing equipment, thereby taking away your means to feed yourself. And it often got bored and tiresome down there at the hole, so lots of conversations would come up about where these things came from that we saw floating in the water. 
Sometimes people would say that maybe some criminal had taken their victim and chopped them up into pieces and flushed them. Sometimes people would say maybe it was a girl who was tired or sick or injured or socially humiliated and she aborted her fetus and flushed it down the water. Now, it was with these stories in my mind that I thought about when one day a guy fishing at the hole, he pointed out into the water and he said, look, there's a baby floating out there. And I looked and he reached down in the water and he grabbed it by the foot and he picked it up and he put it in my face and said, here you go. Then I realized, oh, that's just a damn doll. Well, these stories went around a lot. And one day, I was at the hole with a couple of friends and a guy who had never seen the hole before. And we were fishing, bored as usual. And I saw this doll floating in the water. And I said to myself, now, here's an opportunity for me to have some laughs. And I pointed to the doll floating. And I said, look, there's a damn dead baby floating in the water. He said, no, nah, can't be. I winked at the guys. They winked back at me. So I took a stick. And I turned it around and it was wrapped in this white rope or cord and it was shiny and its plastic artificial mouth was wide open. So both of the guys, they ran off and they screamed and the new guy, he ran off and he screamed. And I started laughing and I was going, <laughs> it's just a joke. Come back, come back, it's just a joke. So I thought to myself, I'm gonna get this doll and this is gonna be a laugh for all the times. So I stepped in the water and I got a stick and I started moving it at the doll. And the doll was heavier than normal and it was shiny, pliable. And I poked it with a stick and this gas and bubbles came out of it. Then a loop of intestines popped out. Stay with me. <laughs> so I ran out of the hole. And I couldn't catch up with the guys. I was trying to catch them, and I was running after them going, it's a real baby. It's a real damn baby. Now, I would tell you now that uh, I never heard any reports or anything like that about anybody missing a baby. And our parents, given the nature of the environment that we grew up in, they didn't want us to say anything about it because in this place and in this time, if you were black and you had reported some type of weird or bizarre crime like this to the police, you were very likely to be accused of committing that crime yourself. So if you should ever find yourself in a position where you have to exist off the things that other people throw away, or you find yourself in a position where other people can discard you, then you are in the hole. into the religious material. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your bed. Well, I beg your pardon, what was written down on dread? When you walk with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. Keep the devil 
This is Risk. This is, of course, Tom Waits behind me now. And before that, we just heard Ray Christian. You can find out what Ray is up to on Facebook at What's Ray Saying? Next up, we're going to hear from a favorite of ours, David Crabb, who is not just a, a regular on Risk, but also a teacher of ours at thestorystudio.org. A lot of people have taken workshops with me, but then take the same workshop again just for the opportunity to take it with David. He's got a new book out now called Bad Kid, and it is fantastic. You should really check it out. Go to Amazon, look up Bad Kid. It's a memoir by David Crabb. Here he is now at the Risk Live show in New York City with a story we call The Kiss. Well, people, I got to speak about something. Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? When I was a 16-year-old kid in San Antonio, Texas, I was a goth kid. I had a very uh, specific group of friends. Um, that we wore a lot of black and fishnet. I knew a lot of uh, bisexual girls that named themselves things like Raven and Salem. I knew a girl named Epiphany. Um, <laughs> I knew a lot of boys that wore like dog collar chokers and argued over lunch about who was the better riffraff in Rocky Horror that weekend. Um, like people that wore like a velvet cape at two o'clock in the afternoon to eat cheese pizza when it's like 98 degrees. Like those are my people. Uh, we wrote a lot of poetry that was way too fucking dark for any of you to ever understand. Um, and I was so happy being so sad with these people. Um, I love my friends so very much. And I had a very specific look. I wore a lot of powder. I was sort of not as much goth as sort of like a new romantic, like an Anne Rice sort of person. Uh, if you look at pictures of me from high school, I wear a lot of powder, but I don't blend at the jaw. So I look, so look kind of like an albino that just got a really sunburnt neck. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not right. Um, but I love these people. And the thing now, like, I, I work in high schools with kids sometimes, and, um, like, there's an emo thing now, which people try to compare to being, like, goth in the 90s. But it's different because, like, emo kids are angry. Goth kids were equally two parts, two things, sad and very horny. That, that, that was, that's what, what, that's what made what we were special, is that we were really, really sad, but it was so sexy, the way we were so sad. Um, and, 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 and that led to a lot of um, drug abuse and making out. Everyone fucking made out. And the thing about my clique of friends is that everyone was bisexual, right? If you were straight, you said you were bisexual because it just kind of like added to your cat. Like love knows no gender, a hole's a hole. A heart is what matters. Like I, I actually hooked up with a guy that said that to me once. The heart's what matters, a hole's a hole. I was like, kiss me. Um, so. You know, so straight people added that, but if you were gay, you were bisexual because you were still like in Texas in 1992. Like, I still love pussy, love pussy, pussy, titty, titty, titties. Like, you, it was sort of like a safety net, like a, like a safety net made of Twizzlers. Like it was thin, but it was there, you know what I mean? Like you could, you could fall into it if you needed to. Um, so 
people made out with each other a lot. They were very, very, um, everyone was just always sucking face. And the thing about me is that like, I was like the good boy of the group. Um, I actually drove around my little baby blue Mercury Lynx that people made out in the back of. Like I was like a weird like sex chauffeur. <laughs> really weird. And I was like, look, I mean, I was a pervert. Um, but I didn't actually like get a lot of play. And like my closest friends knew that, but the most, most of the group didn't. They just assumed I was also like, when we would go to the teen industrial club called FX that was by the airport, you know, we would all lean against the wall because no one danced because you were too sad uh, to dance to Nine Inch Nails. Um, you know, I, I looked just like them, just all those sort of experienced teenage make-outers, just leaning with them, but I wasn't, and I was so fucking terrified. If anyone brushed me or touched me or, like, saw my bathing suit area, I was like, no! Um, I was just very, very frightened. Now, when I was in my sophomore year of high school, we got invited to this girl's Sweet 16. And that makes it sound so adorable, but when you're a goth kid, it's like a bunch of like clove cigarettes in a black light, you know, like while Bauhaus plays. It's not sweet at all. Um, but I was excited to go to the party. So we go to the party, and I knock on the door, and it's my friend Jenny's mom, and she opens the door. Her mom's name is Barb, and uh, Barb is a fitting name for this woman. Uh, she was a tall woman. She had long hair parted in the middle. She looked kind of like an escapee from a Jesus Christ Superstar production, but like the AARP version of that. Like, um, she was at home a lot. She was on disability. Um, she wore a lot of moo-moos. Um, I think they were floral moo-moos, but for all I know, she just like woke up on a floral fitted sheet and like grabbed that shit, rolled, and then just stapled that shit at the shoulder and like started her day on disability. Like, I don't know, but I think they were fucking moo-moos. She wore just sort of a comforter, like a sheet. Um, and she was one of those moms that was a cool mom because you could like hang out with her and get away with shit, but she was way too up in everyone's business because she didn't like go anywhere. She was always like, is Bobby still mad at Sandra? Like that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> now, the thing about Barb is that she fucking smoked all the time. She was one of those people that smoked, and as you were talking to her, she would take the cigarette that was done, put a fresh cigarette in her mouth, and then take the cigarette she just finished that wasn't out yet and light the new cigarette with that cigarette and then just go on, uh -huh, and what did Bobby say? Like that was like her whole thing, right? And you would talk to Barb, and at a certain point, she would look around the room because there would be like shelves of smoke. If you've ever been the it, like in the house of a smoker, the fucking sunlight comes through and it's like, it's like a whole like sort of regions of like stratosphere of smoke. And all of a sudden she would realize it and be like, oh, oh, good God, Jesus, shit. And she would grab one of, like she had like 40 secreted Glade air things, just like always at the ready. She'd grab like a fucking blueberry mist, vanilla field, ocean morning, and she'd air bomb that shit. Oh, good God, honey, get out of here. And then we'd go into the next room so she could fucking fill that room with smoke. Like you always want to say like, Barb, you're the one filling your house with toxic smog. It's you, Barb. Um, but Barb was really, really fun, and she was like, when you went to the party, you know it was gonna be fun, because it was like, that mom, she didn't give a shit. So we go over to the party, she welcomes me in, I see all my other friends, everyone's leaning on stuff and looking very sad and very ready to make out. And at one point, at one point, um, Barb, uh, she comes in with this empty wine bottle, and she hands it to her daughter Jenny and says, here you go, darling, I'm gonna go watch my L.A. Law. And as she goes down the hallway, I realize what is fucking happening. We're gonna play spin the bottle. And like, my, literally, my, my sphincter like just seized up. Like, no, no touching. Um, I was like so fucking terrified. Barb disappears, me and like a dozen kids in like Doc Martens with like facial piercings of office supplies. We like sit around in a circle. And I'm like panicking and I'm like schwitzing. And I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? But then I like take a deep breath. I'm like, David, 
All of these boys and girls are attractive people. You have some sort of relationship with them. You are a bisexual. Uh, You can make out with any of these people and it's gonna be fine. And then right as I thought that, the door opened and in came this girl. She's the, kind of the largest pubescent person I've ever seen. I never saw anyone that age so large. Uh, she was this very large girl with, with curly long hair. And it turned out, like, as she walked in, uh, Jenny looked at us and she was like, oh, it's my mom's best friend's daughter. And you know if you have that friend when you're little, they're like, oh, but it's like your mom is friends with their parents. And like, they have to fucking come to my birthday party. Like, it was like that girl. She comes in. So let me tell you about this girl. She had this long curly hair. She was large, and she had this very thick belt cinched in the middle, so she looked kind of like an ant, like her body was like in two segments. <laughs> she had those bifocals where there's a hard line in the middle, so the top half of your eye is like giant and magnified, and the bottom half is non-existent. Your eyes are just like weird giant half moons, right? And then um, she had, her mouth was just like a David Cronenberg nightmare of metal. Uh, There was so much uh, dental stuff happening with a bunch of like neon rubber bands just barely holding that fucking shit in place. Do you know what I'm saying? Just spit waiting to be projected on your face. Uh, She had that. and, And then she had in the middle of her face where her nose should have been was just sort of a network of bandages. Like a star of like thick cut bacon strap bandages. Question mark. Who can say? She comes to the circle, she's across from me, and she scoots people out of the way, and she sits down, and she's looking around, mouth breathing, as one does, without a nose. Uh, Mouth breathing, and she sees me, and it's like, (sighs) she wants all of this. That's what she's about, and I know it, and I feel it, and other people feel it, and there's squirmy, shifting awkwardness because we fucking know what's coming and we start to play spin the bottle. Now, what was supposed to be sort of a fun bisexual party becomes just a nightmarish game. It's of like Russian roulette, like spin, 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 like over and over again, right? And it's getting closer and closer to this girl. Finally, it's her turn. She grabs the bottle and she fucking spins the bottle like this. Like she's looking at me and she goes, She fucking points at me, like, I'm gonna kill you now, you little thing. And she starts to crawl across the circle towards me, and as she does, she says, Hello, my name is Pab, and I just had cyta surgery. Charmed, I'm David, it's a pleasure to meet you, ma'am. Now, as we start kissing, there's a lot of sensory stuff happening. You know, my senses are competing with each other. Like, look over here, no, look at me. This is also threatening. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, first of all, there's the smell of this girl. Do you guys remember strawberry shortcake dolls? Oh my lord. Did you ever leave one out in the rain? If you've ever had an old one and you pump it and there's that little hole in like the ass, the bottom of a strawberry shortcake doll, and when they get real old, it's like a mildewy strawberry chemical smell. It's like a summer camp trunk full of old fruit. That's kind of what she's a, just a synthetic but strangely dirty fruity smell, like a, just a rotten starburst, uh, the pink kind. Uh, she smelled like that. 
Um, and then there was also, uh, like, I was too scared never kissing anyone to close my eyes, but she wasn't. So I, I, I would open my eyes, and her eyes would be closed, and then they would open. Just these giant magnified peepers, like, blinking in my fucking face. And then there was the rough uh, bandage on my nose, just scraping back and forth. And then there was the pure terror of being inside of Pam's mouth. Now, um, it, it maybe in a Fifty Shades of Grey sort of S&M bondage situation, this works. I was fucking terrified. Uh, it tasted like, have you ever tested a battery just to see? Uh, uh. It's like a whole mouth of that. That's what it was like, just a whole mouth of like a pH strip, just burning, acidy. Uh, old can of tuna, you just dug it out. What does that taste like? Oh, it tastes like Pam's mouth. Um, it was like that. With the added threat of the laceration, just like, oh, my tongue, like, oh, I almost cut it again on, on your mouth. It was just nightmarish. Now, as we're kissing, as we're kissing, and, and the other thing you should think about is this. The act of deep, like, French kissing is made possible by the fact that you have a nose. Because you can breathe through it. When you don't have a nose, and you are kissing someone passionately, it's kind of like a... There was one point where she formed a seal and I swear to God, she drew her breath from inside my body. Do you know what I mean? Like a fully, like in a cartoon, I would've been like, you know? Now, as this is going on, I hear my friends being like, come on, Pam, give it a rest. Wow. And like, it's scared voices. It's like, no officer, I didn't call with like the guy in the gun, like behind your back, you know, the, like the guys like hiding behind the door. It was like terrifying. And I could, t I could tell that they were like worried about me, which made it worse. And at a certain point I went to move away and I felt a hand and I was like, who is doing this? It was Pam. She reached out, she's like, no boy, it's like Smokey the Bear. We got more litter to clean up, bitch. Like she was not fucking giving up on this kiss. So we're deeply kissing, deeply kissing, and then the worst part happened. It couldn't have gotten worse, and I looked down the hallway, the smoke-filled hallway, and at the end of this long hall through the open door, I saw Barb. Barb was reclining on her bed, lit by the light of her TV, probably Corbin Burnson's face, uh, just laying there, and she looked at me. When, when this girl is in my mouth, and she just went, <sighs> give me a big old thumbs up. Finally, I was only freed from this because this girl coughed in my mouth. <laughs> like she let up, <laughs> like she needed air. And it was like that Memorex poster. Do you remember that? And of like the guy sitting in the chair and the speaker like, Whoa! like blowing back his hair, the flower tipping over. It was like that. And I was finally free and I was like so relieved. And I took a breath and people were patting me and like spin the bottle was over. Like no one was like, nope, check. Uh, no more spin the bottle. The rest of the party was ruined. Uh, people would come up to me and they would pat me and be like, do you want some punch? Do you want, I can get you like a, a little inch. Like everyone was like, you took one for the team, buddy. Like that was how I felt, you know? And I would try to enjoy myself, but then I would look and around the side of a shed, like half of Pam's face. Like behind a white drape, Pam. Just like watching me. A couple hours later, I heard a honk outside and I walked onto the front porch of the house and Pam was walking to this like a wood-sided station wagon where a woman had come to pick her up, presumably her mother, and even though no one else was in the station wagon, she got out and opened the door to the back seat like for her daughter, which made me be like, oh, that kiss was really special. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and as Pam passed me by, she gave me this weird finger wave and was like, bye, Daniel. Like she didn't even know my name, like her first true love. Do you know what I'm saying? She gets in the car and as it pulls away, there's just like steam on glass and like her waving goodbye. And I take a deep breath and all of a sudden there's this huge puff of smoke in my face and I turn and Barb has been like sitting in this like hammock on the porch the whole time, just lounging in her momo. And I think for just a minute, I'm like, 
thank God, like, her mom's here because Barb's going to give me, like, a kind word. She's going to make it all seem okay and not so bad. And Barb looks at me and she says, I don't know what to tell you, but if that was as gross to do as it was to watch, I feel for you. <laughs> and that was my first kiss. Thank you. This is Bell and Sebastian behind me now. And I just want to remind everyone about those live dates we have coming up on tour. Minneapolis, we are in your town on July 17th. The theme is shock. Reno, July 25th. The theme is mindfuck. Philly, August 21st. The theme is rattled. And D.C., we're in your town on August 22nd. The theme is ludicrous. We are taking story pitches for all of those shows right now. Get your pitches in ASAP. Just write to me directly at kevin at risk-show.com, and you might end up in the show and on the podcast. Also, don't forget that we teach storytelling as well at thestorystudio.org. We teach in-person workshops in New York City, but we also travel to do corporate workshops. I'm doing workshops in most of those towns I just mentioned, those weekends when we come to town, so look for those workshops as well. There's also online workshops that you can take in your own time that you can find out about at thestorystudio.org or one-on-one -on -one training with me over Skype. There's all sorts of opportunities to find at thestorystudio.org. Finally, don't forget that Risk is a happy member of the Maximum Fun network of podcasts. And like all the other podcasts on Maximum Fun, we are listener-supported. 
Although we do have some advertisers, we rely mostly on the donations of our listeners, the people who care about what it is that we do. So if you love Risk, please go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and become a member or make a one-time donation and be sure to earmark your contribution for Risk. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. And he told me to push and he made me feel well. He told me to leave that vision out to the dying. Out to the